Okay, we're starting today with a new book, which you should have had last week, so that you could do lesson one at home as a home assignment. We were four letters, John. So today we are we are in lesson two. We're in session two, and um, open arms. Uh, the first lesson was reality check, uh, which means our lives should serve as a welcome mat. Uh, into the church, and it's a good exercise. I trust that you would have done it. If you haven't, we encourage you to do that one. I encourage you to do that one. Yes, I can do my homework. Okay, before we get into the book, let me give you the setting for our session today. Yeah, just turn to page 21 and hold the page. Okay. The letter of James was written by James, the brother of our Lord Jesus, probably sometime around 80, 50, or 60. Very little is known about the audience to which James wrote, but his teachings are very, very clear. One of those, those passages, uh, books that is so clear that you cannot make any mistake in understanding it. The chapter two of his letter, in chapter two of his letter, James addressed the issue of showing favoritism to the rich over the poor. This is not in your books. Okay, he shows favoritism uh, over the rich over the poor uh, when they visited this group of believers. And so that's the setting that we're gonna be looking at as we go into lesson two. So let's begin with, as usual, with question uh, number one. When have you felt like the new kid? Anybody ever had that experience? Oh yeah. At work. School. Neighborhood. Welcome, <laughs> school, eh? <laughs> When have you felt like the new kid? School, on a new job. On a new job, okay. Church. Any particular incident or occasion that you had when you felt like the new kid? Huh? On a new date, okay. <laughs> you definitely would have been something there. Like when you join like an organization, like choir, okay. ministry, or something like that. And okay. You 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 like you feel like easy because you don't fit in because mm -hmm. everybody already have their little clicks and stuff okay. like that. New job or new ministry. Mm -hmm. New school. On a new team. Okay. All right, let's look at the um, Bible meets life. Page 22. Moving in is hard. In addition to packing your belongings and box, boxing up all your memories, you also have to acclimate new surroundings, a new grocery store, a new traffic pattern. Even a new local news team on TV, everything is new and nothing is familiar. That won't last forever. Mm -hmm. What is new will eventually become familiar. Things will become comfortable as you adjust to your normal. You all lost familiarities because 
what is familiar is comfortable. That kind of familiarity and comfort can be good when you are adjusting to a new home, but it's dangerous in the life of a Christian. We naturally gravitate to the people we know best and who are like us. It's easy to interact with people with whom we share common interests or background. But a problem arises when those friendships drive us to overlook or ignore others, or worse, to show preferential treatment. Jesus, on the other hand, loves all people the same, and we are called to do likewise. We must learn to embrace everyone with open arms. That's right. Okay. And what is the point? Welcoming, Welcoming others goes beyond a friendly handshake. You believe that? You should. You should, right? <laughs> Sometimes we think that a friendly handshake is it, and I've done my duty, and that's it. That's right. Okay, but uh, welcoming others goes beyond a friendly handshake. And I'm sure many of us have heard so many horror stories with regards to visitors. Uh, who were just left to themselves and left to fend for themselves. Nobody checked for them. Everybody's greeting their friends and the other members of the church who they are familiar with, and the, the, the visitor just standing there looking on and observing. And uh, That just happened lately. My yeah. husband was shocked. He was on the platform, which is unusual. He's usually down, but he saw that there are two people who just stood and nobody came and shook their hands. That was just recently, so we really have to just notice everybody when we have that fellowship time. Right, and sometimes some the visitors, are, uh, they don't, when you have the greeting time, they don't normally move around, they just stand where they are. And so you actually have to go to them right. and greet them. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes we walk all around them, and, yeah. you know? That's true. Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, revealing yourself to us and the preferences that uh, we sometimes encounter that allows us to feel uncomfortable and uh, not be the kind of witness that you want us to be. We thank you, Father, for the way that you welcome us with our partiality into the family of God by adopting us into your family. We pray that we may be mindful of that as we go through our study today and how we are to demonstrate the same thing to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, let's look at the first uh, scripture we have. That is James chapter 2. Uh, the first four verses. Uh, just read the first four verses and then we're going to look at question number two. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor man dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, look at question number two now. What are some ways we might be tempted to show favoritism today? What are some ways we may be tempted to show favoritism today? Person that has financial status. Okay. What, what about that person? Well, you tend to draw 
to him or you know recognize him among others. Okay. You know because oh oh he, oh, he has money. He's wealthy. Okay. <laughs> you know. Okay, that happens today, right? Yes. All right, so you gravitate mm -hmm. to a person who, who has influence. Right. Uh, wonder why. Because you're looking for something in return. <laughs> That's why. You've been studying. Okay, we, 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 we're thinking that we could probably get that person to do us a favor oh. or get something from them. Oh, yeah. Because they are a person of means as opposed to the other person. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are some other ways uh, that we may be tempted to show favor in, in, in addition to influence? What are some other ways? Well, for me, when I stand at the back greeting people with my husband, mm -hmm. I try and be consistent so that I don't shake hands with some and I hug others because I really love people, people equally. But, I mean, we can all be aware of how we greet and show thoughtfulness and cheerfulness to see people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's little things that matter as much as big things. That's right. And mm -hmm. you know, we could sit by somebody that's just sitting there alone. Don't come and sit with me, I'm fine people. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that. <laughs> okay, good points. I, I know somebody hasn't been to church for a long time, right? Oh. I, I got the phone and I gave him a call. The person came this morning and to me, really appreciate me calling, calling them. Right, okay. There you go. All right, so you notice a person. And that's a, that's a good thing because sometimes all it takes is a call for someone yes. to realize that, hey, they miss me. Somebody missed me. Yeah. You know, so it's a good thought. Nobody called me. Nope. I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. Long time ago. Excuse me. Oh, you always call me. So now you can get a duck. <laughs> okay, look yes. at that word. Notice that word partiality in verse 1. Partiality. He said, my brothers show no partiality as you hold faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, uh, displaying preferential treatment to a person or persons that you don't show to others. And sometimes we do it and don't even realize we're doing it. It becomes sort of the norm uh, when we do that. So a couple of uh, thoughts on verse 1. Partiality is an act of evil. We need to be mindful of that. It is an act of evil. As believers in Jesus Christ, we are to avoid partiality and treat all people with the same love and interest. Yes. Identical. I Okay. Very good. Okay. So in our text, James addressed this issue with his readers. He identified himself with his audience by calling them brothers. James admonished them not to show partiality. Okay? In both the Old and New Testaments. Yes. Um, 
Just recently, I studied that same book of James, mm -hmm. and by all accounts, he was the first writer of the New Testament, mm -hmm. James. And apparently, he had formed a new church. It might not be a church or a synagogue or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. And then the author says that in those, in his writings, he was trying to establish a Christian atmosphere with the community. This was a Christian atmosphere. And they said that it was written probably many years before any of the epistles of the New Testament were written. So therefore, his writings was to a specific type of people. Mm -hmm. not just to the common audience. They didn't go into detail to say what kind of audience it was, but apparently it was a, of a sophisticated audience in which they were Christians. Okay. That is what all I the author has said about that. All right. James. All right, well, let's look at the comments that we have on the, on, on our, in our books with regards to the verse. Uh, sorry, you want to continue reading that? The book of James was written to Christians who were undergoing persecution. James wrote this letter not only to encourage them to remain strong during those difficult times, but also to remind them that faith and obedience is linked together. It's in this context that James addressed the issue of partiality. These Christians claimed to believe the gospel and follow Jesus, but apparently they were not treating people equally in their congregations especially regarding wealth. According to James, this was an evil thing to do. This is true for at least three reasons. One, partiality neglects the image of God in fellow humans. When we show favoritism to one person or group of people over another, we are, whether we realize it or not, subtly neglecting the truth that all human beings have been created in the image of God. Because all of us have been created in God's image, every one of us is worthy of honor and dignity. When we remove some of that honor and dignity, even if it seems like a small thing, we are doing more than exercising our preference for one group or another. We are denying the image of God in the neglected party. Mm -hmm. Two, partiality sees, partiality sees others as objects to be used. Why might we show favoritism? In James' illustration of the rich man and the poor man in the fellowship, the reason is simple. We can get something from the rich man. <laughs> By showing favoritism, we might receive some of his money, a greater reputation because we are associated with a person of prominence, or his approval which would increase our self-esteem. Whatever the case, we are hoping to gain something from him which means we are using that person rather than serving and loving him. Mm -hmm. Three, partiality sets, as judge, sets us up as judge. Favoritism is a big deal because it puts us in the place of God. We are determining someone's worthiness based on some preconceived notion because of the person's clothes, money, reputation, or whatever. But we are not equipped to make this judgment. Indeed, only God can look at the heart. When we show partiality, 
we are putting ourselves in the place of God. We are judging the worth of another. Okay, so we see a couple of points there uh, that was mentioned earlier when we asked the question. Uh, question number two, partiality uh, neglects the image of God in human beings and uh, we need to be constantly reminded that everyone is made in the image of God and uh, that's a prominent thought especially when one person murders another one uh, because the same thing applies there uh, in terms of, of, of favoritism. When we show favoritism one person or group over another we are whether we like realize it or not and many times people don't realize it subtly neglecting the truth that all human beings are created in the image of God and then partiality shows uses others, uh, sees others as objects to be used. Do we ever think about it like that? No. We don't think about it like that, do we? Mm -hmm. Okay, we show partiality, we are hoping to gain something from him. Yes. Uh, which means uh, we are using that person rather than serving him. And then partiality sets us up as judge. Mm -hmm. Okay, and that's another thing that God really has a problem with. Okay, us taking his place as judge. There's only one judge. Okay, when we show partiality, we're putting ourselves in place of God. We're judging the worth of another person. And only God has the power, the authority, and the right to do that. Yes. It's being presumptuous, actually, uh, when we do that. Okay, so in the next verses, we'll see that we are to avoid partiality because it is inconsistent with God's heart and should also be inconsistent with us. So let's look at the next passage. Verses 5 to 7. Someone want to read? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? We might be tempted to think partiality is not that big a deal, but we only think that when we fail to see the heart behind such actions. James has already helped us see that evil is not too strong a word to use when describing favoritism. In addition to the evil of treating other people as objects rather than as fellow image bearers, partiality is also wrong because it runs contrary to the heart of God. When you begin to consider God's posture toward humanity, an important word comes to mind, grace. Because of his great love for us, God has assumed a posture of grace toward human beings. When we adopt an attitude of favoritism, we are neglecting God's heart of grace in at least two ways. One, favoritism makes assumptions based on external appearance. God's grace is not based on how much money we have, how educated we are, or how polished our appearance is. When we show favoritism based on these external qualities, we are implied that someone is either closer to or further away from God's favor. Such an attitude runs contrary to the very definition of grace. Two, favoritism focuses on what we receive rather than what we can give. Perhaps in James' day, the thinking was that by showing favoritism to these seemingly important people, the congregation might receive financial benefit. In either case, the focus, is, the focus is on what the church might receive. This too runs contrary to what grace is, a gift freely given with nothing expected in return. 
if we want to adopt the heart of God, then no place remains for partiality and favoritism. We must recognize that it is only by grace that we have been welcomed into his family, and we are to extend that same grace to others. Okay. Question number two. Three. Or three. Sorry. How do these verses reveal God's character? God's character. He's a loving God. Okay. Which part of the verse? Huh? Which part of the verse uh, stands out as revealing God's character? He's an impartial God. He's an impartial God. Okay. Where do we see that impl implied in the verse that we just read? Mm -hmm. He chooses the four. Okay, that's verse five. Verse five, what does it say? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Okay. So we see verse 5 telling us a little bit about God's character and about uh, the heart of God. And then the passages that we read point out two major uh, points. Favoritism makes assumptions based on external appearances. And many times people judge people based on their external appearances. And then two, favoritism focuses on what we can receive rather than what we can give. Uh, people are always out to find out what they can get as opposed to what they can give. Brother Randy, mm -hmm. in verse 5, does your, do your notes give you what poor means in the original language by any chance? I'm just wondering if it's referring to finances or if it's referring to the souls which we're all for. No, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. okay. Well, uh, there are a couple of verses. Uh, yeah, it indicates uh, material. Uh, one of those verses is uh, Exodus chapter 22. Uh, the word James uses uh, was attempted to communicate to his readers that partiality neglects God's heart, identifying himself with his readers as believers in Jesus Christ. James asks, Another rhetorical question to which he expected the answer, yes, God has special concern for the poor. And uh, there are a couple of verses uh, that we have in, in uh, the Old and New Testament uh, that speaks to that effect. Exodus chapter 22, uh, verses 21 to 24. He says, uh, and this, this whole passage in, in Exodus, uh, actually verses 16 to 31, uh, focuses on the laws about social justice. Uh, so it falls right in line with how uh, the poor are treated in, in, in society. In, in verse uh, 21 of Exodus 22 uh, to 24 says, you shall, not, uh, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict any widow or orphan, if you afflict him at all, and if he does cry out to me, I will surely hear his cry, and my anger will be kindled, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and children of the fatherless. And then uh, Psalm 68 and verse 5 talks about how God is a father of the fatherless and a judge for widows. 
uh, God is in his holy habitation. And then uh, verse Isaiah chapter 1, uh, verse 17 says, Let learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the rootless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. And then in James, uh, when we come to the New Testament, uh, James kind of uh, it's us in the conscience, as it were, because he talks about the pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So poverty from a physical perspective is, is indicated or implied uh, there, but not necessarily the main thing. So God expects his people to share the same concern that is, is expressed in the scriptures concerning uh, his people or individuals that we come in contact with. So God demonstrated his love for the poor by including them in the new birth that comes by repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And James also um, talks about how our faith is tested uh, because of how we treat the poor. In um, James chapter 1 verse 9, he says, the brother, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his position. Okay, so this doesn't mean that all poor people are or will be saved. But God has drawn multitudes from among the world's poor, physically poor, to receive salvation. Both physically poor and spiritually poor. Alright, so he's talking about basically about both. Any other thoughts? Sister Beth, do you have anything else? Okay. You see how when Jesus came down, he hung out with the poor people and he was always with the poor people. He didn't really try to be, you know, show that a rich person is his favorite or anything like mm -hmm. that. He just stayed with like the least among right. the society to the less fortunate. Mm -hmm. Okay, the next verses, boy, time is gone on us here. The next verses show us how, how expressing love for all people is consistent uh, with God's heart. Uh, let's look at those verses. James 2, 8 to 10. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin uh, uh, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. Continue. Perhaps the most obvious reason why partiality and favoritism are wrong is because attitudes like these are consistent with are inconsistent with love. And love is the language a Christian should speak above anything else. Love God, love people, that's it. If we do this, then we are doing everything. James called love, quote, the royal law prescribed in scripture. But as James also pointed out, the opposite is also true. If we fail at love, then we fail at everything else. To show favoritism is to be guilty of all. Many times we don't understand how strong our vertical relationship with God is related to our horizontal relationships with others. We know we're supposed to love each other, but a lot of the time doing but but a lot of the time doing so seems to be a sheer act of will. 
Such an attitude entirely misses the connection between our relationship with God and our relationships with others. We love others not because we force ourselves to do so, but because we are truly in touch with the measure of God's love for us. Since that's true, the opposite is also true. We fail to love others because we fail to believe or understand the fullness or completeness with which we have been loved by God. When the temptation to show favoritism arises inside us, when we know our tendency is to always favor one group over another, we, well do, we would do well to remind ourselves that we are all on a level ground at the foot of the cross. There is no one righteous, not even one. Romans 3 and 10. Not even that person or group we tend to favor, and certainly not us. God himself does not, favor, does not show favoritism. Instead, he is building his, king, his kingdom from unlikely places and sources. And that should be our attitude. Okay, and so that last paragraph there reminds us that the ground is wondrously level at the foot of the cross. Amen. And that's something that we always need to remember whenever the ugliness of, of temptation raises its, its, uh, uh, its head to show favoritism. We should always remember that at the foot of the cross, there are no stands like the Olympics where you get gold, silver, and bronze. Wondrously level. Someone put on Facebook, um, it was very, I thought it was very good. They put um, pasta and then they put a cross. Church member, cross. Choir <laughs> um, member, cross. Because all of those things aren't going to matter. You know, so I thought that was a good thing to remember. <laughs> all of those things that you think are so important, you you attend church, you pastor, you, you mm. know all of that. Last question number five. How can these truths, uh, how can the truths of these verses help our group be more welcoming? In other words, how have these verses helped us today to be more welcoming tomorrow or to, in a few minutes when we go into the other service? How have these verses helped us? Hmm? You were sincere, yes. What are you practicing today? Demonstrate. Read every word. Okay. Demonstrate unconditional love. And then perhaps the person who is like the least likely that you would normally want to go to and probably shake their hand or whatever. And okay. So it kind of puts you on the spot today, right? Yeah, just have a deal with that. Love them all. Just have a seven hand in the heart of God. Do what you know God will do. He says, show love. Be genuine about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Show a heart of servitude. Okay, so we can apply these verses right away. Yeah. Right Let me now. go on to the next service. Okay, the point again? The point is, welcoming others goes beyond a friendly handshake. Okay, goes beyond a friendly handshake. All hugs today. Okay. Get <laughs> okay, how do we how do we flesh this out in, the, in addition to what we just mentioned already with regards to applying those verses? Uh, we look at page 28, live it out. We must break out of the huddles of familiarity we have created for ourselves and reach out to any and all God brings our way. Choose one or more of the following applications. Pray. Pray specifically that God would bring you in contact with someone who looks, talks, or thinks differently than you. Mm -hmm. 
Change seats. Uh, that's a tough one, eh? That's a tough one. <laughs> like my seat. When you, when you gather this week to worship or in your group, intentionally sit somewhere different. Sit next to someone new and engage him or her in a conversation. In conversation. Okay, we're going to see how that is applied today. <laughs> okay. Go someplace new. Don't just wait for someone different to come your way. Be proactive and go out of your way to meet someone new. Go to a different area in your community for some everyday tasks like buying groceries. While you're there, engage someone in new, someone new in conversation. Okay? It's always easier to, to surround ourselves with people who are familiar. But we must remember that God loves everyone the same. Yeah. So we must learn to embrace them all with open arms. Work this is a very convicting lesson today, yes, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> very convicting. Yes. So we'll see how we respond to the conviction today. Right? Huh? Yeah, we know the time. Yeah. But I, I encourage you to look at that, uh, the activity. Mm -hmm. uh, we see four images there, and it says uh, select the best, w select the image that best represents situation where you can find difficult, find it difficult to demonstrate love. 